Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio. Tom, I cleared my throat while the music was playing. I hope that doesn't blow that thing up. <sighs> Leave it in there. You can ask people later on in like an online quiz format if there are some little outtakes that should have been taken out during the editing process. Yeah, when you when you're looking at it behind the computer. It really puts things in perspective. So Tom and I are here on a, what's today, Wednesday afternoon. Yes, it is. So I said something last week about how we always do this on Thursday, and I think last week is Tuesday, now it's on Wednesday, so I guess our streak is broken. I don't know what day it is. I spent Monday and Tuesday in a car. I drove all the way to Norman, Oklahoma, and then all the way back. Well, I've been to Startville this week, so Trent's on the phone with us. What's going on in Startville, buddy? Sorting through yield at that time of year. I missed you on campus this morning. I've been over there for a couple of days, so good to get you on the phone. So you wrapped up on all your own farm stuff? Still got two locations left to get. Uh, you know how it is. We, we we did a lot in a couple of week period, and then it seems like those last two or three are just trickle in as the cold weather and the wet weather and everything else comes along. Yeah. Well, you're definitely going to need a jacket if you do them in the next couple of days because it is For sure. chilly outside yeah, today. It's super chilly outside. It's hard. It's kind of, well, I wouldn't say it's hard to take, but it's hard when you go from warm to then all of a sudden rock bottom cold. And I wouldn't say cold. It's cool. Well, if I remember correctly, I, we planted our, our first plot this past spring and I was wearing a heavy winter coat the day we planted it. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's fitting to go out the same way. Yep. Full spectrum or full circle, whatever. So Trent got getting done with soybean harvest, cooling off. You know what that means? It's time to go deer hunting. That's the first thing that crosses my mind, deer season. <laughs> we'll cut Tom out of conversation for a few minutes. Yeah, he can completely cut me out of that one. So I like to tell people, out, I have the means to hunt, but I'm not allowed to have a hobby. So, <laughs> so have you been hunting yet, Trent? I have not. I've only been once. Any luck? Well, it depends on your definition of luck. I got to go hunting. That was lucky. Uh, I did not see anything that was not lucky. But funny story, a mutual acquaintance that I hunt with who you may or may not know well, he goes Saturday afternoon and he climbs up in his climber and, of course, it's afternoon, gets dark, climbs down, realizes, wow, my sunglasses are hanging on a branch in that tree. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that he climbed up in with a climber, so it's not like he just hustles back up the ladder and grabs him. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Isn't it? <laughs> so I, I laughed. Uh, I assume one of us will probably eventually go back to that spot and climb up that tree and hope the squirrels haven't eaten the rubber off of his sunglasses. All right, so we talked to Eric last week about corn hybrid selection and we wanted to get Trent on and get his take on things to think about when he starts thinking about variety selection for soybeans. We know it's really similar to the way the corn program operates, but why don't you just give folks a a high-level view of the way variety testing works for soybeans and then your contribution to that as well. One thing that may be a little different in the soybean world compared to other crops is just the sheer number of varieties that are commercially available. 
I don't know, man. Eric, what was that number? Eric spouted out, Tom. I was kind of shocked by the number of hybrids he said they had in the in the small plot. Well, I can tell you because I finished my corn promotion board pre-proposal, there were 100 unique hybrids in the official hybrid trials at Mississippi State University. See, 100. I, well, I was really they're surprised They're coming along, by that. man. They're, yeah. they're trying to catch up with the soybean world. Absolutely, but they're entering some things that from companies that we've not looked at before. So I think that really accounts for some of it. So I interrupted you, Trent. What was what was the number for the soybean varieties? I don't. I'd have to look off the top of my head. I don't remember how many were put in here. It was north of a hundred, but you've also got to factor that in across different maturity groups. So it's going to range, possibly a couple of late threes, but mainly starting at early maturity group fours and We'll go into the fives. You know, the, the interesting thing, I think, that when you look at all these varieties that are entered into the official variety trial program, uh, over the last 10 years or so, it was a pretty even split, I think, between group fours and group fives. And today, most of those varieties are group fours. The group five tests are getting smaller and smaller each year. And, you know, a lot, a lot of varieties entered into that group 4.5 to 4.9 type maturity range. So just a testament to the varieties that you know, our producers have found to be successful, the maturity group range that are successful for us, and uh, and then, of course, the, the breeding efforts for those companies and, and what they're you know putting out there available for us. The fours and fives, are we still running those in separate variety trial tests? The way that uh, – the Mavis variety trials are run. Uh, they they are broken up into two different maturity group four tests. There'd be an early group four test, which would be up to like a four point six, I think, is the cutoff in that test. And then and then the late ones would be the four sevens to four nines. So those would be two separate tests, and then the group fives would be an additional separate test. And then it gets really complicated when you start factoring in different herbicide trait packages and technologies. So obviously there's a, a Roundup Extend test and then and then this test as well currently. And different variations of, of past technologies, you know, as, as those change over the years, the, the test has to change to fit that. So then we would have four different group four official variety trials with early or early four, late four, and then extend and enlist? No, here, I'll tell you, it's the early four and late four. Those are all the extend entries. Then there is an enlist set of fours. Okay. And there is what is what I broadly consider the conventionals, but the conventional now con- contains conventional Liberty Link and anything that's a Roundup-ready trait that does not contain the extend trait in that plant. So it's a smaller number, but that's what I was just sitting here thinking off the top of my head. Maturity group four early, just the extend trait containing is something on the order of 44 varieties. And the maturity group four late extend is about 44 varieties. That accounts for almost 88 total varieties between just those two sets in an entire OVT. I guess I hadn't considered, I mean, I knew maturity group would be a thing. And, but I hadn't considered splitting out the technologies. I think that's good. But I drive by that variety trial here, the location here at Stoneville, and I just know that's the soybean variety trial. And they'll never consider that there's actually multiple 
test out there at, at one time. Well, and they actually do three locations on this experiment station. They do a dry land, which is going to be planted on 19-inch centers. And that this year, I think that was four earlies, four lates, and the four enlist. And I'd have to look. I think that was it. And then they do a loam set that's everything except the conventionals. And then a clay set that has absolutely all of them. All the fours, the fives, the conventionals, and the enlists. It's something north of 150 or 160 varieties. And that's just ballpark. It's probably closer to 180. I don't think it's 200, but it's close. Variety testing thing in the soybean world can get really complicated really fast. And, and you, know, you can make the argument of combining all these things into one test or, or separating them out into, into multiple experiments. And, and I think at the end of the day, it, it just boils down to logistics. It would be difficult to, to run other traded soybeans within the same experiment as some of the ones that we have on the market today. So I think that group does a good job. You know, they do the best they can. And then like Tom just mentioned the numbers, the, the sets of entries for the, some of the, some of the traits are much less than others. So you're able to kind of combine some things in those and, and, and have a, a full maturity group four test instead of having to split it out in, in, in different maturity ranges. But beyond that, I, I, you know, we, we do our, from the extension standpoint, we do our on-farm uh, variety demonstration program, and that's been very successful over the years. We typically target anywhere from 25 to 35 locations around the state. You know, we'll, we'll break our variety sets up by, soil texture on the group four so we'll have a uh, group four sets tailored towards you know our, our clay soils and then we'll have different group four sets that are another targeted for our mixed to lighter textured soils and then we'll do a uh, group five tests where appropriate so there are some regions around the state there that still grow a lot of group fives and, and so we'll try to try to place those in those areas as well and of course these will be broken across irrigated and non-irrigated locations and multiple planting dates and not really a big wide range of row spacings, but we will see some, some varied row spacings and basically getting a real world snapshot of, of a smaller set of varieties. So we were able to do these in a strip style type format and really, you know, get to see how some of these varieties would perform in the real world. How do you choose the varieties that you include in your own farm? Variety trial, Trent. The companies that that participate will will enter their, you know, they get to, to work with me to select which varieties they want to put in. You know, my my goal is to not necessarily to put in an experimental variety because I think that's what the the OBT program is for is to kind of screen through some of these next generation varieties. But what I want to see, you know, in our program are or this year's, you know, top performers, what each company has uh, available that, that, you know, would be a top-of-the-line type product for them and be able to put them all in one in one test, so to speak, and, and then across all these different environments and planting dates and production systems and, and kind of narrow it down to, to how they each perform. I'm sure several listeners or probably a lot of our listener base might really be curious, what then is the major difference between what Brad's group, the Mississippi State University official variety testing program, what their results are as compared to, to your results and what really are the differences between the two programs. First, let me say that 
I've always had the opinion that the variety testing, the small plot OVT program is, is critical. That program, that type of testing program has the capability to look at so many different varieties in a small plot research setting. So you're able to, to you know, really do some true research, uh, so to speak, with, with separating out yield differences and, and other characteristics of the way that some of these varieties perform at the locations where they, they have them tested. So, you know, I personally use those data uh, a lot in my program and in my, in my recommendations to be able to go back and, and evaluate different varieties and, and, and make variety selection recommendations to producers based on individual needs. Uh, so with that said, you know, that's, that's the description, how I characterize that program, super valuable, uh, but mainly in a small block research setting. So ours, you know, the goal of it is not to mimic or, or be similar to the small block variety testing program. Our goal is to, to supplement that. So we're able to take just a, a few varieties. You know, we, we typically have anywhere from 14 to 18 varieties in each one of our sets uh, on, on an annual basis. So we're able to take a much smaller set of varieties, put them across a, a larger area of land where we get to see some of that field variability that, that is in the real world and, and test these varieties, you know, in real production systems. So what I tell our producers when, when they plant them, you know, I want them to manage those varieties just like they manage the rest of their farm. And then we come back and collect our data off of them and, and yield them. And then we get those yield values for each one of those varieties in, in a real world production setting. So I, I think from a benefit standpoint, I always enjoy visiting with our producers, you know, that cooperate with us as we're harvesting them because, you know, every one of them, they're, they're anxious for those, those yield results. We try to, uh, automate the process the best we can where we can input our weights and, and have the have the yields calculated out where we can give them that information pretty quickly and and then get it all summarized into a, a publication so that we can get that released as guys are, are ready to make these variety selection decisions too. What type of data do you collect on your own farm variety trials? We will do some stand counts, you know, more or less just to make sure that we have an adequate population to, to take all the way to yield. Uh, and then as far as things that, that producers, you know, the, the information we try to provide for the producers, we'll take, you know, visual estimates for green stem and lodging and shattering. You know, those are, those are three characteristics that are important in the in the variety selection decision obviously not the most important one which you know in, in the most important one for all of us would be the yield that's obviously the the main column the main category that most people focus on but uh, in addition when possible you know we try to get uh, tom will we'll visit a lot of these locations and try to collect you know different disease ratings and, and things of that nature that we can include with each variety table with each location table rather so that it'll have the lodging the green stem the shattering the, the disease ratings and the, the final yield values well and all those points are, are important and i know when we talked with eric last week <clears throat> we really tried to emphasize 
how yield is definitely one of the variables that I think we focus on. But what else do you really urge farmers to look at when they're considering those data that you provide from on-farm locations in addition to yield? If they're making a decision on those varieties, what else should they really hone in on on that table? Obviously, we're all going to consider yield to be the most important one. But, Tom, I'll jump straight into it to your expertise there. I'm of the opinion in the soybean world that, you know, your disease packages within these varieties is is probably the second most important thing uh, to consider. I don't know if you want to go ahead and jump into that, or if not, I'll finish out the list. I would urge farmers to focus on really two that I think are probably the most important. And, you know, the one thing we do in Stoneville is we do that that toothpick challenge test, which a lot of people I think would consider us pretty crazy. But we actually grow the stem canker fungus on toothpicks. You stick those toothpicks into individual plants, and then we come back and score those at the end of the year to provide those data because stem canker can be such an extremely devastating organism. And the best way to talk about that is whichever year it was that the Clarksdale location just got absolutely hammered by stem canker. There were some of those plots that cut less than two bushels and physically that's not possible. Uh, There was not enough in that plot to really record a value. So they just recorded what they got off that way system. And when you're talking about, you know, less than two bushels, hopefully I said two bushels and not two pounds. The way way systems work, that's just trash. That's exactly right. I say trash. It's soybeans left in the system from the previous plot. There's always some stuff circulating in those way systems. You could stand on the bed of the pickup truck and point the plots out that were the most susceptible. And that's been the one time that I really, you know, I reluctantly I was there looking at those plots the one day because it had rained like eight inches and, I, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. And I slogged a half a mile down a turn road that you could not put a truck on and rubber boots and everything on a really smoking hot day and thought, man, I'm going to get out there and there's not going to be anything. And then it was just raw excitement that, wow, when you really see this happening, you can make a point to people that, look, this is one to be really concerned about. So we, we still do that because we maintain that stem canker is still so important. And the other one that I'll mention just briefly is, is frog eye because we are in such a continuous soybean production system that reducing the potential losses associated with something from a foliar standpoint like frog eye is really important, especially when you consider how much strobel urn or QOI resistance we have documented in the state of Mississippi. You've basically eradicated that one potential class of fungicides. So those are really the two diseases that I focus a lot of attention on. And of course, frog eye either does or doesn't occur. I mean, that's all left up to the environment. Uh, But I think we did get some good data from 2021 whereby the Crystal Springs location was just, it was smoked with frog eye. So all those those data will be available when I get a chance to sit down in the office and finish putting that together. Trent, you mentioned obviously yield being the the number one parameter to look at, and then y'all, you and Tom both mentioned some other ones, but describe to people how to manage that information when you have access to data from the different sites that you have, plus data from the different sites of the official variety trial. If I'm trying to choose a soybean variety, how do I sift through that location information to arrive at the variety that fits my system the best? Probably the best source of variety selection is just, you know, each producer's own past 
experience with varieties. I think a lot of decisions are made annually just based on, on how the, the mix up across that, that individual producer's acres and how those varieties perform. Now, with that said, we do live in a world where turnover rate is pretty frequent on, on some of these varieties. Uh, so, you know, what we have this year that was great may not even be available next year and may be replaced with something that could be better and might not be. So those acres, those varieties that, that are, are new, you know, those can be a challenge sometimes. And, and I think a lot of producers will, will typically just plant some of these newer varieties on a limited number of acres and, and get a feel for them. But you mentioned all the different resources. So obviously, you know, we have our Mississippi State Extension uh, publications. There, there's the Maples Variety Trial publications. Each of the seed companies uh, have their their own information that, from the tests they've conducted, and, and then retailers also have uh, their own tests that they that they conducted. And so there's just a a lot of variety data available to the producers. And I bring all that up to say that it can be very overwhelming when you're when you're looking through it. So some of the points I guess that I look for. Uh, you know, our location type information. So, uh, for example, in, in a lot of these publications, you'll find find soil textures, you'll find planting dates, you'll find you know irrigation uh, capabilities, whether it was a dry land or an irrigated test, and, and things of that nature. So, I think you just you know start there and kind of narrow things down to to those tables and, and those data sets that match up more or less with the, with the production system where you're trying to select those varieties to, to plug in. I think the, the big thing is just being aware of the different resources and, and you know, of course, as always, we're here to answer any questions. And at this time of year, I'll, I'll have conversations daily with folks about different varieties and how they performed this year and last year if we have multi-year data sets and things of that nature to, to try to help in those variety selection decisions as we look see for next year. I think we should do our best to urge soybean farmers to really consider as many locations when they look at those data to make sure that, that the variety that they're really considering or that they're focused on performs good across a large range of locations. Because I, oftentimes I, I hear the complaint, well, we had the variety trial. It's such a great location. Everything cut 100 bushels. How can I make a decision based on that? And I realize that that particular location may fit your farm geography the best, but you really should look across a range of locations because the environment can be so variable across the state. And, and it definitely was this year. Having been to all of the, the variety testing locations, I can tell you that it was extremely variable across those locations. People will ask, you know, specifically for for varieties that that fit in a you know a, a real recipe kind of kind of question. If I've got this specific soil texture, you know, I'm going to plant it this week, and and this is my management practice. What variety should I plant? And it's it's great when you can lay it out and pick a variety like that. But to Tom's point, you know, one of the things that I look for in varieties is consistency. I think a, a variety that may not win every single location, however, when you put all locations together, it's going to be at the top. That tells me that that variety has the capability of performing across a multiple range of environments, 
differences in, in variability in fields and, and soil textures. And that would be a variety that I would be putting at the top of my list more so than I would uh, one that, that really rung the bell, you know, in, in one specific scenario. You alluded to it earlier, Trent, but tell folks specifically where they can go to find the information that is generated with your own farm stuff and then as well the official variety trial. Our extension on farm publications, of course, we'll, we'll have that at all of our meetings that we, we do across the winter months. But the main uh, resource to access that would be our Mississippi Crop Situation blog, so mississippi-crops.com. Uh, matter of fact, that's, that's what I'm trying to – I mentioned earlier that we still like two locations finishing it, but I, I'm going to try to go ahead and post uh, the preliminary uh, publication this week, and then if we get these other two locations harvested, I'll, I'll repost it at a, at a later date to update and, and reflect that. But So there's that resource. Uh, of course, the, the Mavis variety testing, I, I think I spoke with Brad yesterday, and if I understood right, I, I believe he's got some of his data coming in now. Uh, and and they will be getting ready to release some of the preliminary data on on their website as well, and of course you know all the different seed companies and, and, and their websites. So online access to, to variety information is is uh, most convenient thing for this time of year prior to prior to meeting season anyway. We appreciate the time, Trent. That's super important information. I think it's timely right now. Um, and we definitely want to thank our regular listeners. You know, keep the comments coming. If you need any of us for one-on-one kind of consultation about any of these topics, if, if you know, don't don't be shy. Pick up the phone, track us down. We're usually pretty easy to get hold of. Send us an email, follow us on Twitter, send us a direct message, text us, whatever you have to do to get our attention. Trent, appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, guys. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.